0: Or scenarios that you come across where um, you know breach of confidentiality forms part of the part of the law. So, for example, there are conditions. For example, people patients can contract infections that, by law, once identified, need to be notified to the health protection agency. So, there are we call um, uh, what we call communicable, communicable diseases such as measles, mums, bacterial meningitis or tuberculosis, uh, but in recent times COVID-19 was one of them. Now, there's a full list that's available through the Health Protection Agency website that you can have a look at. But essentially when approaching such a scenario, you are looking at the greater good. Now it's worth mentioning that um, you know, it's important to have full disclosure with the patient by informing them that the health protection agency and by law uh, the information regarding their diagnosis and it needs to be um, reported to the health protection agency and that of course you are um, you are breaching confidentiality by doing so however you have a moral and a legal uh, reason to do so often patients understand um, your basis but it's important to recognize that there may be situations that patients may not wish to divulge information about their you know their medical condition however for the benefit of the public and for the um, and given that there is a threat to public health um, it is important that certain conditions are reported to the health protection agency And these are kind of some some scenarios that you come across um, in your scenarios so there's also the idea of research and audit now Often, the information that we gather um, is kept on in hospital health records. Often, the data that we collect may be used internally um, to discuss um, important issues, which may be used for training purposes or for for clinical governance purposes, for example, for internal audits that, and, you know that are used to. Um, assess how well as an organisation people are performing and it's really important to understand that in those scenarios strictly speaking patient consent needs to be gained before using patient data for uh, research purposes but secondly um, anonymizing the data so that there is no risk to um, patient identifiable information being spread within the organisation, you know, making sure those actions are undertaken, um, you know, goes a long way to uh, safeguard patient confidentiality. But of course, in these scenarios, it's it's implied consent that, you know, it's implied that the data that's gathered within the hospital is used to, to, uh, you know, to um, improve the internal workings of an organization and to improve future delivery of healthcare. Of course, it's, it's very different if if the data is to be used for research purposes, because often there may be a third party involved. So in research, there are sometimes educational bodies involved, so edu- educational organizations involved. In those scenarios, you know there has to be a very strict uh, protocol in terms of gain patient consent, uh, to considering uh, sharing that data with an external organisation, um, and this forms as part of our data protection act. And one of the last but not least, um, one of the slightly tricky situations that you may be um, questioned about in a medical interview is the situation of a young person. So. So a young adult is somebody who is between 16 and 18 years old, uh, and an adult, strictly, strictly speaking, is somebody who is over the age of 18. Now, while an adult will have um the consent or the capacity to make decisions about their medical care because they're over the age of 18, the 16 to 18 age range may be subject to um, Slight scrutiny in that often those individuals are considered to be, um, to be able to consent for treatment, provided that they are that they have the appropriate understanding um, of their medical condition. And often in those situations, uh, they do not need a parent or guardian to uh, to act on their behalf. So you could argue that young people between the age of 16 and 18 will have the capacity to consent um, and also that will have the ability to uh, refuse for their information to be disclosed to a third party, for example, their parent. Um, of course, it's quite a contentious issue in that they may legally still be under the um, parental guidance of Now, equally speaking, um, someone younger than, um, uh, sixteen years old is strictly speaking, um, uh, is a minor, and in those situations, actually, the law becomes slightly more grey, in that, um, there is, strictly speaking, you know, um, parental guardian should be involved in the decision making. However, there is what we call, you know, gilly competence, which is, uh, the idea that. Individuals, you know, younger than sixteen, may have the capacity and the understanding and the maturity to make decisions about their health um, without the need of a legal guardian—sorry, uh, legal guardian or a parent—to make a decision on their behalf. So the scenario you come across is that it's a scenario of um, a, a minor, so somebody younger than sixteen, requesting contraception, for example. Um, and um, now the, and strictly speaking they may, if they have the maturity and the understanding of that scenario they, um, you know it is a medical judgment as to how you approach that scenario so it's important to discuss the challenges that you face in that scenario um, some of the things that you need to do in order to ensure that the decisions you're making and the parties involved um, are acting on the patient's best interest and you talk about capacity, how you assess capacity, how you um, may wish to get yeah, second like opinion from a more senior colleague, um, you know, you consider uh, having a discussion with the patient uh, and how you may wish to um, try to act as a, um, perhaps wish to act as a mediator. Um, in order to ensure that the patient is protected and that they are making a mature and a, an informed judgment about their health care. Um, so I hope this video gave you a bit of a framework as to how to um, assess the scenario of information mm-hmm. governance. Um, so just to recap, we talked about why confidentiality is important, um, talked about the Data Protection Act uh, 2018, which is the legal basis for uh, confidentiality and information governance. Uh, we talked about how there are, you know, as an organisation, there needs to be protocols in place in order to ensure that patient information is kept confidential, um, that the protocols in place to ensure that the staff are properly trained uh, and if there is a breach of confidentiality, how to deal with that. Now, breaching confidentiality, there are Several scenarios in which that may happen. Now, firstly, uh, obviously, you know, it's, um, you know, for example, when there are sort of communicable diseases, where uh, you know, as a as a national initiative, the that information about certain conditions, that such as COVID nineteen, that data is collected centrally um, for public health matters. So there are scenarios where information governance comes to forefront. I think in any scenario what I would keep in mind is that actually, you know, patient confidentiality is paramount and it's been paramount to patient care. But it's really important to weigh the pros and cons of any scenario, particularly if you are um uh considering breaching confidentiality, you should consider both aspects before you doing so and um and you know the maybe that you seek legal advice and uh, advice within multidisciplinary team before um before considering that. Well, I hope this was useful. Thank you.